This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Continuing with our 25 years uh, loving look back on Ravens history here, we have an analytics guest from, from outside the Ravens community slightly, a, a, a PFF intern, Arjun Menon. Arjun, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on, Ken. I appreciate it. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, you, you did a show before with us. We really appreciate that. I saw your uh, tweet about this particular topic, and it's something certainly that Ravens fans are somewhat familiar with. Uh, but it's about Torrey Smith and his propensity, uh, along with Joe Flacco, to create pass interference penalties. Yeah, it, it was it was something that um, I created. I created a metric for it. And ultimately, the reason why I looked into this is I was watching that Colts 49ers game. And because of how bad the weather was, the Colts or the Niners couldn't throw the ball in the air. And the Colts best form of offense came through pass interference calls. Like they had four defensive pass interference calls called on the Niners, three of which they accepted. And um, yeah, that was their best form of offense. So I just wanted to look into that a little bit more. And yeah, I had some really cool findings that I was able to put into an article. That's that's definitely a a great thing to look into. Now, how far did you go back for this? Um, Yeah. So I used data dating back to 2011 Um, The reason for that is actually Raven specific. So a couple of weeks ago, I looked at this only for quarterbacks because me and someone else uh, had this hypothesis that like the best form of offense on third downs came when a quarterback would just throw it up to a receiver. The receiver would jump into a cornerback drawing a pass interference call. So when I ran this for quarterbacks only, I had someone on Twitter message me saying, hey, you should look into this for receivers because Torrey Smith was the best at doing this in his time. So I went back to his mm-hmm. rookie year, which is tw- 2011. And given that 10 years of data is enough to train a model and, you know, kind of weed out any outliers, um, that was kind of like the data 
are the years of the data that I used. Okay, so the the, the data using is Carnegie Mellon database, or did you go to uh, something that PFF had, or was it a uh, the um, other stuff, the XY coordinates from NextGen? <laughs> what did you use? Yeah, so I used uh, PFF data. It, it was a little. I did both the Carnegie Mellon, so that's NFL Fast Star, and I did PFF data, but um, PFF data was a little more uh, specific, and there were less like missing holes, just because I think the uh, NFL fast start data is scraping from a site while PFF hand charts everything. So it is a little more um, specific and there are less holes in the data. Okay. Yeah. I know, I know there have been some issues with, with uh, missing data on the, on the fast R site. So, uh, but still good stuff. Uh, so anyway, let's take us through the process here. So you, you looked at all receivers, tell us your methodology here. Yeah. So um, what I wanted to do was I wanted to look at uh, number one, I wanted to look at which receivers generated the most offense through pass interference calls. So with that, all I had to do was pull the data and just like run some code and just find, okay, I used EPA, which is expected points added to measure this. So when I did this initially, Torrey Smith showed up number one in um, total EPA generated on defensive pass interference calls. He generated since 2011, 77.25 expected points added on only 38 yeah. pass interference calls, um, which is pretty impressive. Like the next highest number was Demarius Thomas at 69.38 EPA. So Torrey Smith generated at least eight expected points added more than the second place receiver. Frame that up for me. What in, in a single season, what might a, a good wide receiver generate in terms of total EPA uh, for, for his passing efforts, his receiving efforts? Yeah. So um, if I remember correctly, I think it might be, it, it might be like around 30. I think that's a number I've seen. Wow throw around. Yeah. So Torrey Smith was definitely very good at, at doing this. The data backs it up and I'm sure the film backs it up as referenced by a lot of Twitter comments on my post. Yeah. It's, it's been something Steelers fans are all over this, by the way, they say, Oh, the only thing Joe Flacco could do is throw it up. Well, he's very effective at doing this thing. Uh, Torrey Smith, I, I can, I can give you my visual recollection and my recollection as an analyst from the time is that uh, the, the Ravens had a particular boot play they would run a lot to generate time and space. Zone block left, naked boot right, where they would you, – you've seen the play a million times. So I think pretty much every team runs it. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a large component of this is uh, – of the offense is, is in, in terms of generating the fake. And there's three eligible receivers effectively on the play. There's a level zero receiver near the line of scrimmage. There's a second level receiver who usually crosses from the other side of the field. And there's a go route on the same side of the field – and you read those from top to bottom. You read it from long to short to see if you can make that that completion. Well, Flacco, being an immobile quarterback, has a better opportunity to generate real time and space on those plays than mobile quarterbacks because mobile quarterbacks, the backside defender who's responsible to rush the quarterback in that case, almost never loses track. Yeah. Of, of and, and and he'll he'll say, oh no, he's got it, and he doesn't want to. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't want to be caught in that situation. But anyway, Flacco used to throw the ball up, and and Troy Smith had electric speed. Uh, and, and a lot of cornerbacks would get grabby. The ball was in the air for a long time. So yeah. you know, call it properly. It wouldn't be a defensive hold. It'd be a pass interference. Yeah. And and they'd almost always be down that right sideline directly and usually off that boot play. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because when I was preparing for this, um, I went back and looked at some of the film 
some of the plays where Smith was able to draw pass interference and you're right. It was a lot of those on the right sideline where Flacco would just throw it up. Um, I wasn't specifically looking for the boot, which is a great call by you uh, that you, that you were able to notice that. Um, so yeah, so I could go a little bit more into the, uh, what I made my own metric. Sure. Yeah. So what I created was a DPI over expected metric. So um, I used a simple linear regression model for this and the four variables I chose were all things that happened pre-snap. So the so the four variables I threw into the model were down, distance, score differential for the offensive team, and yards mm-hmm. to go. So I felt like these variables did a good job of putting a receiver or a quarterback in a situation where in certain situations you'd want to throw the ball up and just have your receiver make a play. So obviously on third downs, this is a scenario if you're losing – you know, you're more likely to take shots down the field. Same with how far you are from the end zone. So I felt like those four variables would do a good job yeah. in the metric. Um, I, I also thought, you know, I could throw in stuff like, um, you know, what type of coverage the defense was running or, you know, the actual amount of yards in the air. But I felt like it wouldn't be smart to, to mix pre-snap and post-snap variables which is why I kept it at pre-snap. And I do think the results came out pretty well to the point where like, you know, the, the model did its job. Um, so I was able, yes. So I was able to apply this model. Yeah. I was able to apply this model for both receivers and quarterbacks uh, to predict or or to find which receivers drew a DPI uh, more often than not. Okay. So does PFF have data going back to 2011 on the coverage type that's of the same type I've seen in recent years with this uh, cover one, cover two, man, all that, uh, that same set of differentiators or does, does, did they use a different system back then that they haven't really converted? Yeah. So at, at PFF, um, when I've used their data, I, I've been told that it's really after 2013 where the, where the, all the data is cleaner and there's less, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't say bugs, but like it's more reliable after 2013. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where I felt it would be smart to uh, leave that out of it. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. So so anyway, those those pre-snap variables are all set things. You didn't go with anything like motion or anything that would, would be uh, something that you you did. I mean, it's probably available for PFF and good data for that era, but I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, what you might otherwise use. So down distance position on the field. And what was the fourth? Uh, score differential score differential okay so those are all no doubt about it numbers yeah and so like and when i when i checked how important they were to the model um pretty much down to all four of them were important um i'm not saying motion wouldn't be important i just i feel like it wouldn't have that big of an impact on you know drawing a dpi especially since dpis are such a small part of the nfl like you'll have it two or three times a game um sure yeah, so so when I ran the model, Tory Smith, of course, showed up number one in DPI over expected. Um, so so the way I, I framed it um, in PFF's database, if if a player draws, I, I created like a deep like a defensive pass interference column. So pretty much that column was on a zero to one scale. It's like it's binary because if you draw a DPI, it's one. If you don't, it's zero. So doesn't matter declined or not. Does not matter. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I had to multiply the end result from the model by a hundred. So essentially I'm measuring, uh, every receivers and quarterbacks DPI over expected per a hundred targets slash per a hundred attempts. 
So of uh, Torrey Smith drew a DPI overexpected on four or 0.4. He had a 0.4 DPI overexpected per a hundred targets, um, which was number one in the league since 2011, which is you know pretty impressive that he was able to do that. And um, he was definitely very good at it with, with the Ravens. Okay. Let me put together some math with you here because I, I looked at that originally. I thought, okay, Torrey Smith's DPI is probably longer than the league average. The league average in 2011, for example, was about 16.4 yards per DPI. Yeah. But maybe Torrey Smith was 25 because, hey, I know he had these long ones and, and could have easily been more. I still look at that and I say, if I take four tenths per hundred, and I multiply that times an average number of yards, let's say 25, I get an extra 10 yards per 100, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's only a 0.1 increment if I looked at it, if I tried to um, add that to his expected yards per target, say. So I, I'm not wrong on that. There's not something mathematically I'm not doing wrong about that, am I? No, that sounds right. Okay, so so if it's if he was at 9, the, this – the the DPI only would take him to nine point one yards per target. Would would be the only impact that I mean it's not it's not a huge amount is what I, I guess what I'm saying. But then you come up with the seventy seven points. That's eleven touchdowns over over a you know multi year period obviously. But yeah. that's enormous. Is there a reason why the DPI is so much valuable than say other yards gained like it's an automatic first down for example or other things that might make it more valuable? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And that's kind of why um, in my analysis, I used EPA over yards just because I felt like since usually defensive pass interferences happen uh, when you're throwing it from your own yard line and then you end up in the opponent's um, territory or mm-hmm. you, especially if you draw it inside the end zone, you're at the one. So the, yep. the, the EPA that you gain from those type of plays is so much larger than, I guess, the yards, which doesn't do a good job of like capturing um, how you know, how important that play was. Um, I, I do have the the average air yards that Torrey Smith was able to gain. If you, if you were interested, please. Yeah. So since 2011, uh, Torrey Smith had an average 24.842 air yards um, drawn on DPIs, which ranked seventh in that time frame. However, if we use total air yards, he ranked first with 944 which is wow. yeah, which is like almost <laughs> a season season. Yeah, that's yeah. a season's worth of yards on and think about it. It's on only this. Um, he he drew nine hundred forty four DPI yards on only thirty eight plays. Like that's that's like uh, like a, a normal receiver might get like around fifty something catches in a yep. season. He only had thirty eight DPIs drawn. And he generated 944 total air yards. Yeah, seriously, like Roger Carr, 1976, for old Baltimore fans here, about his yards per catch. That's that's absurd. So, uh, and then it's just obviously it's spread out over over a number of seasons. Uh, it's still, I think, the point you make about the the DPIs in the end zone are going to generate quite a lot of EPA. Tell us, a, a first and goal from the one is worth about how much? in today's in, in the NFL today, but roughly. Yeah. So I would say like the expected points. So we don't, I guess like before the snap happens, we would use just expected points because you're not adding anything yet. So the expected points would be almost as close to six as, as any play in the NFL, because mm-hmm. you have, you know, four downs to get one yard. So you're expected mm-hmm. to score a touchdown, which is six points. So it would be as close to, to six 
as possible, you know, depending on the team, how good they are in like home versus away, some models have it differently. And just to be clear that the, the extra point, they would also get a fraction of that as well in terms of the expected point share too, right? So it would be, it would be actually something I would expect it. If, if 100% of the time you ended up with either a field goal or a touchdown, which obviously there are turnovers in that situation too, mm-hmm. and stops, but you'd, you'd either, you'd, you'd, you'd be either three or seven would be your outcomes. Yeah. And so you've got, you, you, I would expect it still probably to be north of six, Slightly, yes, yeah. yeah. So it, it depends. Like I said, some models have it differently, um, but yeah, you're you're on the right track, and like that's why like like some of those pass interference calls that the Colts were able to draw on Sunday night were so impactful because the Colts went from like the Niners forty to the Niners one, and that really changed the outcome of the game. And it's like it's not like it wasn't even like the the coverage was bad. It was just Wentz underthrew it, and Michael Pittman just jumped into the into the corner drawing a DPI and boom, you're at, you're inside the goal line inside the five, which is, which is why I don't like the spot, the spot foul rule, you know, but that's a whole nother discussion. (laughs) Are you a Niners fan by chance, aren't you? No, I'm actually, I'm a Chargers fan. So, Oh, okay. We should have been talking to you last week. This week we're all depressed about the loss to the Bengals here. So anyway, uh, terrific stuff. Is there anything more about your study you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I mean, I have, I have some of the data for Joe Flacco also, if, if you wanted me to share that. Sure. Yeah. So Joe Flacco, um, in terms of DPIs drawn over expected, he ranked fourth, um, with about 0.4 DPIs over expected. So right around Torrey Smith's numbers, but I had like in fair warning, this does include his time outside of the Ravens. So this would include, um, with the jets, with the Broncos, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would assume most of his production came with the Ravens. So that was his DPI over expected in terms of EPA uh, that he gained from DPIs. He actually didn't rank that highly surprisingly. So out of 23 um, eligible quarterbacks, he ranked 17th um, in terms of EPA gained from quarterbacks um, in terms of air yards. He ranked fourth, which I'm assuming is a product of Torrey Smith partly um, and in terms of me, our average air yards, he again ranked fourth. So okay. rank near the top in terms of drawing DPIs, but in terms of the offense gained from that, in terms of EPA, he didn't rank that highly, which I do think might be a product of him playing for some other teams. Okay. And and, they're, and playing after Torrey Smith left the Ravens, he probably was not as good anymore. And uh, Smith, I think, Played with the Ravens through 2014, if I recall correctly. So four years from 11 to 14. Yeah. 14 so to that's a lot of time yeah. without him yeah. after you know he left. All right. Fantastic stuff. I mean, this is just really cool. A, a little corner of Ravens history that we're happy to have on our 25 years episodes. Right, Arjun, tell people where they can talk football with you. Yeah. So you can find me at um, Arjun Menon 100 on Twitter. So that's A-R-J-U-N-M-E-N-O-N. I have to say like that the the post I put out about Torrey Smith linking the article was super cool because I had a bunch of Ravens and Eagles fans tag Torrey Smith and he actually saw my tweet and he made it, mm-hmm. he turned it into a quote tweet, which was really cool for me. I don't think, I think I might be like the first time NFL players ever seen my stuff and gave some acknowledgement. So that was super cool to see. And so, yeah, big, uh, big fan of the Ravens fans now and that uh, based on Twitter, of course. Much appreciated. Now you're you're at Mich- the University of Michigan still st- doing your undergrad or your grad studies? Uh, undergrad, and I'm an intern at PFF. 
Okay. Well, terrific. RJ, we've, we've loved having you on the show before. I want to uh, thank you again. I want to also ask people out there, if they're listening to a 25 years episode and they want to do one themselves, come up with a, with a narrow topic. This is, this is perfect for the show. It's basically <laughs> yeah. Tori Smith and Joe Flacco, DPIs. That's, that's a perfect kind of topic. Uh, if you're a player, a game, a study, a trend, a compare and contrast between old and new, something that the, the Ravens did defensively differently then and you think they should be doing now. All those are great topics. Uh, send me a, a couple of lines on Twitter and we'll get it set up. Uh, Arjun, thanks again for being on. This is real good stuff. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.